Welcome back to another School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined as always by Matthew Chandler. Um, we got a lot to talk about this week. Obviously, Manchester United defeating Everton by a score of 3-1 to one this past week uh, for Everton's third straight defeat. Um, but before we get into any of that, uh, Matthew, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks, Gino. Um, quite relieved for the international break we've got now, I think. Nice to have a break from Everton, which is something I didn't think I'd be saying was a month ago. But um, yeah, I'm sure it'll be cathartic to pick the bones out of a third straight defeat with you. So, Yeah, no, I, absolutely. It's, um, you know, obviously it's kind of kind of sucks to have to talk about these things. Uh, never fun to do this when we lose. Always much more fun when we win, but you got to do it either way. Uh, we'll start off with the lineup from this one. Um, obviously, like I mentioned, a 3-1 defeat. Um, we took the lead in this one by a Bernard 19th minute goal, but then Fernandez uh, scored twice in a matter of eight minutes. And then Cavani finished things off in the 90th. Um, but the lineup, we had six changes from the Newcastle defeat. Um, Pickford back in net, Coleman at right back, Holgate back from injury at center back, uh, Dean back from suspension at left back, Bernard um, in there uh, for um, Gomesh, and Rodriguez back in from injury. Um, so, you know, obviously a lot to talk about here, but what did you think about the, um, the team selection for this match? My initial thought when they saw the team was it was probably as good as we could have gone for. Um, kind of a bonus, really, to see Mason Holgate back. Um, Luca Dean, obviously, expected to come back. Seamus Coleman, maybe less so, but still, you know, I think Coleman's one of our best players. This season, so great to see him back. Bernard, um, maybe less pleasing to see because obviously there's a lot of a lot of um, Evertonians who want to see Anthony Gordon get a, get a start, but I think Bernard kind of proved his worth, or at least you know, proved it was worth starting by his performance in this game. Uh, Rodriguez, I think again maybe. Like Coleman, you can say in hindsight, maybe he came back a bit too early, but I don't think anyone could complain at the start of the game. It was like before the game, seeing Rodriguez start. Mm-hmm. I think the only real one for me was maybe Pickford. I was kind of of the opinion that Robin Olsen probably did enough against Newcastle to keep his place. Um, but obviously, Ancelotti has a lot of faith in Pickford. And, and to be fair, I don't think Pickford did anything majorly wrong. He certainly wasn't culpable for any of the goals that United scored on, on Saturday. So... Um, I guess pleasantly surprised with the way I would say the team panned out. Yeah. Not, not, not in the match. I mean, when I saw the team, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, obviously, I think the one thing that all of us were hoping to see was Gordon in there. Um, but um, obviously, Bernard instead. Um, but other than that, you know, it's, it's good that everybody got in. But, um, you know, obviously, again, like you mentioned, it's, um, you know, we got our players back from injury, but it didn't really translate on the field. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, you know, we were, you know, as you so, you know, lovingly put it on here, we were shit again. Um, and uh, it's been kind of that way for the last three weeks without, without Richarlison. Um, I mean, Matthew, is that the main thing that's gone wrong? What would you say has gone wrong these last few weeks? And 
what really went wrong in this one? I think it's probably the main thing, but I think it's it's not fair to um, kind of put this on Richarlison and say that you know his red card has cost us because every team will miss their best player, but Everton have enough good players um, to to say that they should be able to cope with his absence. You know, um, I think it almost feels unfair the amount of pressure we're putting on Richarlison already. Like, you know, he's a 23-year-old. He ha- he's not going to, you know, have ironed out his game completely yet. You know, he, he's, he has had bad games for Everton quite recently and um, we'll probably will do again. So, just worry that we're kind of building him up um, on this, you know, unfairly high pedestal because of how much better we look with him and how how one-dimensional we look without him. Um, I think it's obvious that he's not like um, an out-and-out winger or an out-and-out striker, but he's kind of somewhere in between, which which works for his advantage really in terms of the way that he can link play with Dominic Calvert-Luna from the from the from the wing from a wider area. Um, and without him. Everton look really static and predictable. And I think you see that with the amount of crosses that they planted on Harry Maguire's head. Uh, on Saturday, we're trying to find Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who, again, was, was isolated and kind of given a thankless task of leading the line on his own. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is probably, you know, a lot of it is probably due to results not being there, but Everton have to be better than that. And they have to find more ways to win with and without Richarlison because you know one of, eventually Richarlison is not going to be here anymore and then um, you know what we're going to do then so um, I don't think we looked one dimensional at the start of the season that's the funny thing you know we had and it's not that really, these players have dropped off Luka Dean's still in good form James Rodriguez had a great start to the season so you know we should have enough to cope without Richarlison um, but on Saturday and in the last two games that he missed as well, yeah. uh, Everton just have looked kind of starved of creativity, really. Um, and whether it's it's leading the line with Calvert Lewin or from that wide area where I think he is best suited to Everton, you know, really need him back. Um, and obviously, he will be back after the international break, having served his suspension. But I would just like to see maybe a few more facets to Everton's attack, really. Um, because it's unfair to put so much pressure on one fellow being being on the pitch. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely tough. Um, and and I don't think that you know, obviously, Richarlison's red card did. Um, it hurt. Um, and obviously, it obviously hurt us. Um, in terms of not having him to play, obviously, he's an important part of our squad. Um, but you know. Players have to be able to fill in. People have to be able to, you know, Richarlison could get hurt at some point this season. It could be something that, um, you know, is not as preventable as as maybe a red card is. And um, we're going to have to deal with that. And we need players to step up. And, I, you know, it, it can't all be on Richarlison, but I think us missing him is is a big, big problem. And, um, you know, he just he just has a skill set that no other player on our team, uh, you know, on the squad actually has. Um, you know, yeah. we often compare Anthony Gordon, and, and I'm sure a lot of people would have liked to see Gordon because I think that he is probably the most like-for-like in, um, you know, at least that's what we think. We don't know for sure, but that's what we think. He's the most like-for-like uh, in the squad. But 
even he doesn't have the skill sets that Richarlison has. And um, even with him on, on the pitch, it, it, he would, we would still be missing something from Richarlison or from Richarlison's, um, you know, gameplay. And, you know, obviously it's, it's just tough to play without him, you know, Everton and, and Pete's five telling stats. He said Everton have not won a game without Richarlison since he joined. And, I think that's the most damning of stat stat of all, you know, it's, and it's, you know, it's not to Richarlison's fault. Um, it's just the fact that he is a very talented player who is very integral in what we do on um, it, uh, you know, when we attack and it's been, it's been rough missing him. Yeah. And the last, uh, the press conference after the United game, I think Ancelotti said that it's impossible to replace Richarlison because he's, yeah, you rightly said Gordon is probably the closest thing to him, but really there isn't anyone that has Richardson's same same uh, abilities, really, or qualities. Um, and I think, you know, if you go on the last three games and, and the sort of lack of imagination that Everton have shown in all of them, really, um, it's kind of hard to disagree with Ancelotti on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and, you know, obviously... Everton tried try to make up the creativity in many areas. One of those decisions that um, Ancelotti has made has been to start Sigurdsson, um, not in the same role as Richarlison, but in that central midfield role, to see if we can add some creativity to the offense, um, some creativity to the attack. Um, it hasn't really worked out well. Um, you know, obviously Sigurdsson, we've lost every Premier League game that Sigurdsson started this season. Um, at the beginning of the season, we talked a lot about how we thought maybe he was resurgent. We had seen some good stuff from him, but at this point, it seems that maybe he's nothing more than a, than a good substitute for us right now. And, um, it's understandable with the, with the amount of time he's played over the last, uh, last few years. Yeah, I think he probably just, he's probably burned out, you know, more than most players. I mean, it's, it's hard enough right now playing in the kind of compressed schedule that coronavirus has enforced on football, but Sigurdsson has played virtually constantly for the last four or five years, for, from Swansea to Iceland to Everton. I think it was only his first season at Everton where he had any kind of significant injury. Apart from that, he's, he's basically stopped, he's hardly stopped playing. So, you know, maybe it's not surprising that we see, see him burning out now, but, you know, by the same token, it's pretty obvious that Sigurdsson's legs have gone now and while we did see him improving on last season even that's a very low bar um, at the start of this year you've got to take into context A, who we were playing and B, the fact that when he came, when he did better in Premier League games it was off the bench so by that time in the game the game's kind of slowed down players are tiring and it's kind of reducing to his, his speed um, and that is kind of the best environment for Sigurdsson to thrive. I don't think he should. I think he showed again by basically doing nothing on Saturday. You know, and I still don't really know what his role was meant to be. And I think he showed again through that that he's not fit to start games anymore just because of the toll that the amount of football he's played has taken on his body. Um, and... You know, Carlo Ancelotti has got so much more right than wrong at Everton, but I just feel like he has a blind spot towards Sigurdsson, which I think is is maybe a, a 
a black mark against his name so far in his, uh, in his Everton tenure because I don't see really what Stevenson offers. I know the, the other alternatives aren't great. Andre Gomez has been pretty poor for a few weeks now. Nobody seems to like Fabian Delph. Gabarman's injured. Ben Godfrey could play there. And that's it. Could play maybe in a deeper role and push Allen forward, but I think he's been signed as a centre-back, hasn't he? So, um, you know, they, it is kind of like, you know, kind of rummaging through a, a bowl of bruised fruit or something. You know, it's like there isn't an obvious candidate for that third midfield spot, but um, I think... You can't just you can't just earn your place based on other other players' uh, lack of merit. You have to you have to earn your place on your own merit. And I don't think Sixson has done enough basically in the last in the last few games now. Yeah, I um, mean, it's it's you know we we talk about this, and I think at the beginning of the season, even I I mentioned on this podcast that um you know maybe our depth was better than we thought because some of these players were playing really well at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Um, and you were getting something out of Sigurdsson. You were getting something out of. Um, you know, Delph, you were getting something out of Bernard and Awobi, um in some of these games. Obviously, in hindsight, hindsight is twenty twenty. You look back at that, and those opponents obviously were um, Fleetwood, and Fleetwood Salford. and Salford. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, you know, I think there was a belief that you know maybe these players coming off the bench would have provided something. Um, and now, you know, it's looking like quite the opposite. And it's kind of showing in our starting starting lineups week in and week out. And, and especially this week, obviously, you know, we had immediate returns for Holgate after an injury that kept him out, what, three months, three something months. like that? Yeah, two um, months, yeah. Uh, Coleman was back. Rodriguez was back. And it's quite possible that none of them were actually fully fit to be back in the squad. But, you know, and, and, and Holgate – some of the miscommunication errors that he had with Keane um, that le- those led to the first two goals. Um, and um, maybe it's just, you know, obviously I think that's another thing that shows just the lack of depth that we have. And just an, an issue is just these players probably weren't fully fit and they still were back in the lineup. And I, and I think that showed um, against Manchester United this past week. Yeah. And I think, Another example of that would be the first game of the season against Spurs when we all kind of thought of the three new midfielders, maybe one or two would start, but not all three, um, just because of match fitness and things like that. And, and then you immediately see all three start. And I, I guess I think that tells you as much about what Ancelotti thinks of the alternatives as it does about them, I think. And I think it's the same here, you know. I don't, I don't think Ancelotti really rates... Um, Yeah, Mina, or certainly not. He doesn't rate him and Michael Keane as a partnership, so you can see why Holgate came in. I don't think particularly rates John Joe Kenny because he he constantly saw him kind of being linked with moves back to Schalke or moves elsewhere in the summer. Um, And then, you know, we don't have anyone who compares to James Rodriguez in terms of technical ability anyway, so um, no surprise to see him come straight back in. But... um, you are right in saying none of them really look ready and you know, I don't blame Ancelotti in some ways for picking them because it's hard to have seen their the their sort of deputies there much better, but um I think it shows you how threadbare we are in terms of genuine quality uh, through through the squad really, if if they're going coming straight back in with no hesitation. Yeah, it's um it's tough. Um and I think, you know, again, 
I mentioned that we maybe, maybe just me, but um, some of us thought that, you know, maybe the depth wasn't as much of an issue at um, after the season had began. Obviously I think before the season began, everybody looked at depth as a, uh, as a, pro- a possible problem for the team. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's showing now it's, it's showing that, you know, one injury has taken us from top of the table undefeated to now, you know, on still on 13th points in seventh place. Um, It's, that's not, that's not normally a good thing. Um, And, and I think that's something that Ancelotti needs to address, but at the same time, we did also, you know, you also have to realize, I don't think many people expected us to be at the point that we're at right now with the first team squad either. Um, you know, I yeah. think Ancelotti and Brands did a fantastic job. And we talk about this a lot, but I think they did a fantastic job with bringing in the right pieces for the first team squad. And obviously, it, you know, it just was, it was impossible for them to get everything taken care of in that one window, especially with COVID and, and everything that happened. Yeah. Um, it was always going I mean, to be impossible for them to do that. Um, and there was always going to be something that missed um, or something that we were missing. Um, unfortunately, it looks like we're missing, you know, something at the wing spots, obviously central forward with Keane going out. Um, and I think that, you know, Richarlison also going back to him, the central forward role is, you know, I was reading something by Patty Boyland earlier today um, about, um, you know, that central forward role and, 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 and Cheng Tosun and Ellis Sims. And he said, you know, I think a lot of the belief was that um, Richarlison was going to be a, a big part in that, um, in that role, um, in that central, central um, forward role. And he obviously is now on suspension. So that obviously didn't help with some of the things that we um, might've needed help with in the, um, in that central central attacking role, but um, depth has been an issue. It's um, something that I think we expected. Um, we were, I guess, a little bit, I guess, maybe surprised at the beginning of the season to see some of those players playing well. But um, now it's it's uh, you know it's proving to be a bit of an issue, and and players like Hol- Holgate, Coleman, Rodriguez are, are getting back in the squad and and unable to, um, you know, really make an impact because of maybe some of the, the injuries that they still have um, or that they're still taking care of um, at the moment. You know, another, another position uh, that there's been a lot of discussion about too, um, obviously depth is, is something that we talk about here in terms of Robert, uh, Robin Olsen or Jordan Pickford uh, is that goalkeeper position. Obviously Pickford as you mentioned earlier, Matthew Pickford played today, um, or excuse me, played on uh, over the weekend. But, um, you know, and, and I don't think he did anything to lose his position, but obviously still some conversation whether it should be Pickford or Olsen. Obviously, Pickford with that, that weird thing, uh, that weird incident with Maguire that, um, you know, he, he goes up to catch the ball and, and loses the ball and then almost – give something up. Um, what were your opinions uh, this week on, on, on Pickford, Matthew? Um, 
Well, I don't think I don't think you could fault him for any of the goals. Like, like I said before, I think uh, the first two were bad defending. The third one, we just got caught on the break trying to equalise. Um, there's a stat in Pete's uh, article this week about his distribution as well. Uh, 21 balls, which you know is is more than he usually plays. Obviously, distribution. A lot of people kind of praise. I think it's kind of gone downhill in the last year or so, but um, certainly didn't think it's as bad as, bad as it has been on uh, on Saturday. What I would say is that that Maguire sort of incident is still kind of indicative of someone I think who isn't at full on confidence because he, he should. I mean, you could you could say whether Maguire pushes him or whether Maguire fouls him. Pickford should just catch the ball, though. He should just catch the ball, and then, and then, and then the incident is, is uh, you know, alleviated. But I mean, for me, I I just felt like Olsen probably deserved an opportunity to show what he can do, and I don't think he did did anything to warrant being dropped. Um, and I'm kind of conscious that Pickford. Often has better games against better teams because he's kept busier and he ha- and he can't afford to lose concentration. Um, you know, against against lesser opposition, whose attacks are more sporadic. I think you see his mind wandering more. Um, whereas against United, he can't afford to do it because he's more constantly has to be on it. Uh, with three games now against Fulham, Leeds, and Burnley, I think certainly Fulham and Burnley, you'd expect less work for the goalkeeper. It would worry me. Go into those games with Pickford. Just if we would see a repeat of what we've seen against previous sort of lower Premier League opposition, shall we say? Um, and I don't think if, like if Pickford was a younger goalkeeper and you were taking him out every so often, then I think you could um, maybe understand that. You know, the chopping and changing. I don't think I don't think Pickford's played the Premier League long enough now. I think um, I don't think. I mean, again, who am I to question Carlo Ancelotti, given what he's won? But but I'm going to. Um, I think he, I think it's a dangerous game to play where you constantly swap. Well, not constantly, but he has said that Robin Olsen will play again for us this season, um, and that he has previous of changing goalkeepers around every so often. I'm not sure that's conducive to a solid defence. Obviously, Everton have conceded two or at least the last five games. Um, I'm not sure changing a goalkeeper every so often is is uh, going to be anything other than detrimental to that, because I think you see, I think the, I think the best defenses and the best teams, you know, are built on continuity, and continuity breeds success. I think you think of like I don't know, say like the uh, the Roberto Martinez year, for example, you could basically reel off the starting lineup from that team. Um, pretty much at least nine of them I'd say every week certainly the defence um, you know Tim Howard in goal Baines, Coleman Distan, Jagielka um, and you knew what you were getting if, you, if you're kind of constantly messing around with the goalkeeper um, I don't think that helps really um, so if it was up to me I think Pickford still looks like someone whose confidence is shot for various reasons on the pitch and off the pitch um, and I'm not saying he should never play for us again or we should sell him. I just think now is probably an opportune moment to give Olsen another go. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like you mentioned already, um, you know, Pickford didn't do anything, I, I don't think, to 
warrant losing his spot, which um, I guess from my, from my point of view, I guess from my standpoint, I, I would say you would keep him in. Um, I understand, obviously, Olsen, um, you know, obviously Olsen, uh, you know, going out there and, and, and getting a run out. And, and I understand, obviously, Pickford's going going through some things, like you said, on and off off the pitch. But I don't know. I, it, at the current moment, I probably wouldn't um, take him out. I, I think, like you said, I think he did a good job this past weekend. Um, and and I, I, you know, I think it screws with him more if you take him out now after, you know, making, you know, he made a couple pretty good one-on-one saves that, that kept us in this game. Um, obviously had a defensive center back pairing that was troublesome in front of him because of the lack of communication. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. Again, I, I think if you take him out for the full match, it, you know, obviously sends a message that, you know, he didn't maybe didn't do a good enough job. Um, you know, as of today, uh, you know, we, we know Gareth Southgate has said that Pickford has given him no reason to make him not the England number one, but Nick Pope will be starting in the friendly against Ireland. Um, so, um, you know, Pickford getting some rest there as well. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I, at the moment, I wouldn't say we take him out for the full match, but again, it's it's one of those things where, you know, if he doesn't make a mistake, you're like, okay, but you know, there's always that worry that he's going to make a mistake. And if he does make a mistake and you leave him in because he didn't make a mistake in the last match or because, you know, you're like, Oh man, I didn't, you know, I don't know if it warranted, you know, as much um, or, or what, what happened warranted taking him out and he makes a mistake in the full match. It could cost you three points. It could cost you, uh, you know, one point, it, you know, it, there's a lot of underlying implications, I guess that, um, yeah, you know, playing Pickford and, and and like you said, the confidence you can tell the confidence isn't there. You know, watching a, a goalkeeper like De Gea or watching a goalkeeper like Mendy or watching a goalkeeper like uh, Loris, you know, especially on you know things like corners, you can tell Pickford's hesitating a little bit. Whereas on on corners for a bunch of those other guys, yeah. you know, you can tell that they're coming out, they're controlling the box. If anything, inside the penalty spot, they're probably coming out, punching it out with force and and you know clearing the lines and and getting things under control um you can like i said you can tell the confident there's a confidence issue there especially with that blunder um that almost cost us something with harry Maguire. but it's a difficult decision uh obviously i don't envy carlo ancelotti's job in man management because this is i think one of the more delicate situations uh, definitely on our team um, probably one of the more delicate situations across the league right now in terms of the player, his mindset, how he's affected by confidence and play, uh, people's confidence in him. Um, but, again, I would start Pickford against Fulham, but there's always that possibility that <laughs> he could screw up, he could have a mistake, and, and it could cost us, you know, points in the end um we've talked about you know obviously the Pickford on Maguire um challenge uh there's there were calls for red card there even Maguire himself said that it wasn't a red card said that he was partially at fault for it as well um 
real quick, what's your opinions on, on that situation, Matthew, um, so we can wrap up the Pickford talk? What's your, situ- what's your opinion on the Pickford red card? And, and if it was a red card – or sorry, not the Pickford red card, the possible red card on Pickford uh, on that challenge. And if it was a red card, um, or what's your thoughts why it wasn't? I think um, – yeah, no, I probably not, but I can see – I think Pickford walks the tightrope when he does that at the moment just because of what he did to Van Dijk accidentally, I would hasten to ask, three weeks ago. Um, Bruno Fernandes was certainly worse than Pickford in his challenges on Saturday, but to be honest, I'd like to, I'm not really one who sort of moans about refereeing decisions after games because, well, one, you can't change it, and two, I think in this game, for example, you know, Bernard scored and it didn't really change the flow of the game because United were the better team before Bernard scoring and putting Everton ahead and they carry on being the better team afterwards. And just my opinion, but I think probably if Fernandez had been sent off, then United would have still been the better team after that. So I don't, I don't really think any of these decisions would have changed the, the course of the game, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I think that there were some questionable challenges by Fernandez after the red card or after the yellow card, um, the first yellow card, I think you can make a case for it. But, you know, you see this all the time. Referees obviously get a little bit more lenient with uh, players on yellow cards because, you know, they don't want to be sending a player off for a challenge that, you know, may or may not have been a yellow card um, or a second yellow. Um I think that you could, again, make the argument for both sides. Um, but in this case, like you said, it, it, Fernandez going off because also would have been late in the game, most likely probably wouldn't have changed anything for Everton. It might've given us some more space to work with, but you know, I'm sure Manchester United would have stepped back, put the rest of their guys behind the ball, tried to hold on to the lead. And we know how, this Everton team can be without some of its creative figures or with some of its creative players being um, slightly injured. Um, you know, we're not exactly the best at breaking down a low block on defense, AKA yeah. <laughs> Burnley. Um, so, oh, yeah. and also I think we played into United's hands too much by, um, you know, I think the best way to, to approach United is to kind of, and uh, you know, deploy a low block of your own, really, because yeah. they're at their best when they when they when they're on the counter attack and they can break with pace that they got in their team. And um, certainly, as the game kind of wore on and drifted away from Everton, you know, to the point where you got Cheng Tosin coming on and uh, and you know Alex Iwobi, who I thought actually was okay when he came on, but lack of kind of change of creativity there, I think, or, you know, lack of impact anyway from Tosin. And, you know, Everton, you know, go for broke and then end up just, just like, leaving themselves so open and, and you see that for the third goal. First two just yeah. ran about defending, but... Um, yeah. It was just pretty naive, I thought, Everton on on uh, Saturday. And you can, I think you can only lay so much of that blame out on Chabotti's door, you know. Professional footballers playing the Premier League, you got to look at yourself sometimes and say, just use your initiative, I think. And Evan just looked 
like I said, they didn't they didn't they didn't play smart, whereas they did you know against Tottenham particularly they did. Um, and all of our games seem really frantic now, don't they? Like Tottenham was, you know, we we controlled that game and we always looked like we're going to win that game. Um, they had a few chances which Pickford did well with, but there was a, kind of a sense of calm about it that day. Even in the games we won since then, I haven't felt the same way really. Apart from maybe Salford, but obviously, you know, League Two Salford, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the Premier League wins have been kind of end-to-end cut and thrust. And I know that's kind of a theme of this season all across the league, but um, Evan won't get anywhere. I don't think playing like this, they need to tighten up. They need to, you know, build a solid base at the start, you know, from the back and then build from there. Um, and you know, United were too good for them and they exploited it. And better teams than United will do worse than if they don't change. So uh, a lot of food for thought anyway for over the international break. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? Uh, just, um, I guess the other thing that which Pete's highlighted in his telling stats is zero minutes for Gordon because he wasn't involved. And uh, I'm sure I'll get onto Gordon in a bit more detail after the break. We do our yeah. 23s, but um, you know, I don't. I personally don't see. I. It's not that I don't see the hype or I don't see the potential in Gordon because I do, but then do people ask you, do people want him to play because he has made you know, consistently significant impact on games or is it just because he's young? Um, I think he's a good player. I can see why people like him. I can see why Everton rate him, but he's not, he's, he's still a very raw player. He's only played what, 14 Premier League games or something like that uh, in his career. Most of them have been off the bench. So, I think we have to be careful with Gordon because, like we've seen with Tom Davies, who probably did a lot more than Gordon's done before, but the fans got carried away about him. I think of scoring that goal against Man City, the sort of flying tackles he used to put in every game when he first got into the midfield under Ronald Koeman. And suddenly, because you're a local, you know, boyhood Evertonian, you kind of get raised again, like we've seen Robert Charleston before, this unfairly high expectation level. Um, We've got to be careful with Gordon. I think we didn't do that because we've kind of seen how it's helped sort of kill Tom Davies' career. Um, and like I said before, you have to you have to earn your place on merit. You can't just play Gordon because you don't think it will be or Bernard have been good enough. Because if, if Gordon, you don't think he's ready or won't you know, trust him to make a big enough impact, there's no point playing him. Um, so I, I do understand the clamour for Gordon, but I think we've got to be careful we don't go overboard when Actually, he hasn't had a lot of time to show very much so far. Yeah, um, you know, I I have been one, I think, calling for Gordon um, just because of the, I guess, other options that we have at that position. Obviously, we've talked about it. I feel like Gordon might be the most like-for-like for for Richarlison just because of his ability to – I feel like he runs at defenders, makes them make decisions. I feel like he's – you know, very attack minded. Um, so obviously, you know, I, I would have liked to see Gordon in one of the three matches without Richarlison just to see how he did. Um, unfortunately, we did not see that. But, um, but I think you're right in the sense that, you know, we can't hype him up too much. We don't know exactly what he is yet. We, we know he's 
and, and we'll talk about this with the under 23s um, and his performance there. You know, we know he's a talented player, um, but maybe he's not, you know, clearly Carlo Ancelotti, there's something with, Car- you know, that Carlo Ancelotti sees. And again, in the same Patty Boylan piece that I read about the Richarlison thing, he mentioned this as well. Carlo Ancelotti, you know, we don't see training. A lot of the decisions are made by your performance at Finch Farm. And, um, you know, I think that there probably is something that Carlo Ancelotti and his team want to see in training that they're not seeing from Gordon right now. And that could make a huge difference. And that could be, you know, why he's not playing. But um, we got to give him time. He's young. He's 19 years old. Um, You know, there's a lot of promise there. There's a lot of promise with a couple of the U23 guys. But we got to give them some time now, um, you know, before – you know, going all in and hyping them up to the, the highest standard. You know, they've shown good things. Gordon's shown something, some good things. But let's give him some time. Let's give Carlo Ancelotti and his team some time to work with him. Um, and I'm sure we'll see him in the first team um, when, when he's ready. Um, let's take a quick break right now. But after that, we will discuss some more Everton news. <clears throat> all right, welcome back. Um, now we're going to get into some of the other Everton news uh, surrounding the club. Um, you know, we'll break down some of the U23 stuff, but before we get to that, talk a little bit about the women's team. Obviously uh, they fell um, in the FA cup final to Manchester city uh, in extra time. Um, another disappointing loss this weekend for the women as they lost five, uh, excuse me, four, nothing at Chelsea. They've now slipped to fourth in the table. Um, you know, watched a little bit of this game. It was, um, you know, it, it was, you could tell Chelsea had a good stronghold on the game even early. Um, obviously, the Everton women missing some players as well um, that played um, that played into their, you know, I guess maybe lack of form or, uh, you know, lack of um, quality this past weekend. Um, obviously, Galvin being one of them. Um, but, you know, the Sandy McIver uh, mistake gives a, she gives up the first goal. Um, and then I think it was pretty, pretty all downhill from there. Um, Matthew, your thoughts on the women this past match? Kind of, yeah. It was like a mirroring the men's team, isn't it? In the way that yeah. it started like a train and then kind of lost momentum quite drastically. But there's no shame really in losing to Manchester City in the final. I don't, I don't think not a lot of shame in losing to Chelsea. You know, these were the top two last season. Um, obviously, it's the way I think you know, the scoreline is quite damning, but put it into context, you know, they've had a really good start to the season. Um, and, you know, they're fourth now, which would still be progress on kind of mid-table finish they had last year. So, um, I think kind of important to maintain a bit of perspective with the women's team and say they've still made a lot of strides. And, of course, they lost one of the best players over the summer in Chloe Kelly. Um, so, like, I'm not getting too downhearted about the Everton men's team because I think there are certain caveats there and certain you know, mitigating factors to look at. I think you've got to say the same about the women's team, really. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, it's, it's mirroring some of the men's stuff. Obviously, the women missing some key players like the men have been. Um, you know, but again, you know, I think a lot of our expectations for the women's team have been, you know, like the men's, you know, they had a fantastic start to the season and, and, you know, obviously that raises expectations a little bit. 
Um, and a couple injuries have now altered, I guess, their, uh, altered their path a little bit. But I, I think you still have to be confident in them, confident in their abilities. Um, obviously, they made some really good signings, some really good improvements over the offseason. Um, and it looks like they're, you know, headed in the right direction. Um, you know, this is a team that I think has a lot of quality and, and has a lot of promise. Um, once they get those players back, I'm sure they'll show that again. But, you know, they're missing some really key players. And it's obviously going to be a little difficult without those those um, players. But, um, you know, they'll figure it out. Uh, just like, you know, the men will hopefully figure it out as well. Um, and, um, you know, uh, like we always say, we're rooting for them. You know, doesn't matter who it is. We just want a trophy brought to Everton. Um, you know, we want to uh, see them do well week in and week out, just like the men do well. Uh, or just like we want to see the men do well week in and week out. And, um, you know, hopefully they can get things back on track. Um, another, you know, another team we want to see do well is the U23s. We talked a little bit about Anthony Gordon. He played for the U23s this past weekend along with um, Ellis Sims, um, Beningami, Pennington, and Cuckoo. Um, Broadhead. They ended up winning this one um, two nothing over defending champions Chelsea. Um, Ellis Sims had one of the goals. Tyler Onyango had the other of the goals. Um, Gordon, I believe, had an assist on the second one. Um, a really good performance all around by the U23s. Um, they're up to seventh now in the Premier League two. Uh, your thoughts, Matthew? Um, I thought. It was good to see at least Anthony Gordon and people like Branthwaite and Kunku, etc. Ellis Sims uh, getting minutes for the under-23s. If they're not going to get any game time in the first team yet, then I'd rather they just boss it in the under-23s than be in a kind of purgatory of, you know, sitting on the bench or not named in the first-team squad. Um, because, you know, that's better for the development than nothing, I suppose. Um, Ellison's took his goal really well. Anthony Gordon hit the bar with a long range strike, didn't he? Which I think Gordon is kind of in a weird place because he's it's not he's not good enough for the Premier League, but he's it's he looks too good for under twenty threes, but and he's kind of just kind of edging into it now the Premier League scene. But um I think Ellis Ellison's is another one where I'd say I look at him and think um surely he now would be a better option on the bench maybe even Cheng Tosin because you know we're going to get with him and I think he's, he's had long enough now to prove himself and hasn't taken really chances and isn't really a good fit for the way Everton play and there's someone Everton have tried to sell on you know repeated in repeated transfer windows Ellis Sims I think his finishing is probably already good enough to be in the Everton first team I guess a lot of it is whether he has the attributes to complement that so like Dominic Cavalloon for Quite a few years, you know, his hold of play, his his speed, his power. Um, he he had all that, but he didn't have the finishing, and now he's added the finishing. I think it's kind of like the other way around with Ellis Sims in terms of, I think he can finish at that level, but I think he needs to have all the other facets to his game as well. Uh, whether he's got them yet, I don't know, because we've not seen him in the Premier League yet. Uh, obviously, he was on the bench against Newcastle, wasn't he, but didn't come on. So... Um, I guess the only thing is you'd say maybe it's a shame that people like, not a shame, but ideally you don't want to see Matthew Pennington, who I think is 26 now and probably due a testimonial soon for the under-23s, 
they'll get minutes. Nathan Broadhead, I don't think is, is, has a future at Everton. Beningami, likewise. I think these guys are like early 20s now, aren't they? And, and you, would, you would assume that the ships probably sail for them, unless it's just to put them in the shot window. I think that's my only gripe. But um, a lot of positivity, I think, for this game. And um, I think certainly Alice Sims and Gordon gave Ancelotti something to think about for after the international break. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, with, with Sims and, and the Sims so soon of kind of um, kind of discussion, you know, it gets to the point where you're like, what do you have to lose by putting Ellis Sims on the bench and possibly giving him some minutes late in the game? You know, We've exactly. seen what Chang Tosun can do. You know, we know what he can do. Uh, we know his abilities. And quite frankly, it's, there's no, there's, he's not going to get any better than that, I don't think, at his age and, and no. where he is in his career. So you would think that Ellis Sims would be a guy that at least give him a chance, see if he's the guy, see if he's ready for that role. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. See if, he's, uh, see if he's got the quality – it takes to be in that first team squad because you're going to find out a lot more about Ellis Sims than you are going to be, than you are um, about Chang To Soon um, over the course of this season if you play him um, again. I think it just gives fans like a crumb of positivity, maybe from yeah. Even if, even if you brought him on against United um, when we're chasing the game, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't score or really make an impact, at least you can say well. At least good to see how this soon get some minutes. So instead of instead, we're kind of moaning the fact we're still giving game time to Cheng Tosun, who um, I think a lot of people have accepted for yeah. at least a year and not got an Everton future. Yeah. So um, I'm not saying you just throw all these players in willy nilly and just throw them in the deep end if they're not ready, but if they are ready, then they should kind of, you know, tentatively and gradually be. be Brought into the fold, I think. Especially when I haven't obviously have no other strikers. You know, in Ellie Sims's case, besides Tosson and Calvert Lewin. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, you know, I think we, you know, I think it would be good to see Ellie Sims, see what he can bring to the table. Obviously, we are beating the drum for Anthony Gordon just to see what he can uh he can do, but you know, obviously time time will be limited now with Richarlison back. Um Unless, of course, they decide to move Rodriguez to the middle, which I can't see happening um, at the moment. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, um, at least before the the transfer window in January. Maybe you want to get a look at Ellis Sims just to see if, you know, you have something there. So you can see if you want to spend money on a backup striker or if you think he can do the job for uh, yeah. for the course of the season at least. Yeah, or if you think he's worth loaning out. So, yeah. yeah, or if you think he's worth loaning out, same with Anthony Gordon. Um, but we'll see. Um, you know, hopefully we see some of those younger names in the lineup or in the uh, the the squads um, in coming weeks. Um, but good performance by the U23s, nonetheless. <laughs> that's you know that's the important thing. You know, if they are going to be playing and they are going to be getting minutes, um, they're putting in good performances no matter where they're playing and. Uh, you know, a good win for them. Hopefully they, they can continue that. Uh, last thing we really want to talk about, uh, I think, today would be the um, constant links with Isco um, from Real Madrid uh, for a move in January. Uh, Matthew, thoughts on this? It feels like a sort of Hamas Rodriguez Mark II, doesn't it? Um, 
or Mark three, maybe if you include Alan in sort of players. Carlo Ancelotti has reunited with Everton, but um, I think Isco's played six times for Real Madrid and only started three this season. So this kind of feel like his era of Real Madrid signings, which he hails from, is kind of coming to an end now with people like Rodriguez leaving, Gareth Bale leaving, obviously, in the summer as well, albeit only on loan. But um, I think it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's certainly a position Everton need reinforcements in. Because um, our midfield is a bit muddled and a bit lacking creativity. Um, again, it's not one where you, it's, it's obviously a short-term signing if it happens in terms of you know it's not like a it, it, you know it's a signing for for the here and now. Put it that way, like Rodriguez and Alan are. Uh, but I don't mind that as long as it's a success, an instant success, um, like Rodriguez has been um, in particular. Um, and, you know, I think it's another one where you say, well, we obviously got him because of Ancelotti's pulling power. Or we will, if we get him, that'll be why. Um, but I think if you have, if you're a player and you, you have you have the faith and the trust of your manager, then that must inspire so much more confidence in you. And I think if Ancelotti signs Isco, because he wants to work with him again, and that should be, you know, the, the biggest compliment I guess you can pay Isco. So um, I would certainly look at him. I would certainly make him a high priority or certainly make his position a high priority. And uh, yeah. as, as much as you want to kind of maybe worry about the sort of long-term viability of it or, you know, whether, you know, we should be planning further ahead. You know, it's Isco. He's a, he's a very good player and he's a massive upgrade on what we've got. So um I am certainly intrigued by it. Whether it will happen or not, I don't know. Because we never seem to do business in January, do we? No, Certainly yeah. not in our sub runs. Um, so we'll wait and see. But certainly one to to look out for, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, obviously a position of need. Uh, if he is going to be brought in, um, you know, he can definitely help out the squad. He's one of those, um, you know, short-term fixes while we look for the long-term fix type of thing. Um, and, and with Ancelotti, like you said, the pulling power there is, um, is huge and, and would be the reason we would get him. Um, obviously, the one thing to be worried about is, like you mentioned, the lack of business in the January transfer window since Marcel Brands took over. So, um, you know, still a little skeptical about this one. Um, but if there were a time to do a move, um, I think this year would be the one in January, especially if everything can get back on track with Richarlison here. Um, and they find that, you know, Isco could significantly improve the team and put them in a good spot for the rest of the season. Um, he's a talented player, that's for sure. And um, he's something that someone that can really help that midfield, I think, um, or wherever he would play across, um, across the midfield. Um, you know, there's been, like I said, there's, there's been talk of, Richarlison liking the central role. Um, Isco, you know, as um, Calvin in our group chat brought, brought up this this morning, Isco is typically played on that left side. Maybe they switch things up in that aspect. Um, but I think it would, you know, no matter what, it would provide a uh, an, an extra bit of quality and it provide more versatility to the squad. Yeah. Um, Unless you put Rodriguez in the middle, maybe, and then yeah. play Isco somewhere. Because I think... Yeah. We all agree Rodriguez is probably playing out of position so far. As well as he's done, it's, it's not his sort of natural habitat, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you, no, you want no, him that, that, in the middle. So. 
Absolutely. And like, you know, it, it, but again, that's, you know, it adds to the versatility. You could play a four, four, two with Richarlison and, um, and, and oh, up top. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting, obviously still, still a couple months to go till that, uh, comes around and, and can come to fruition, but we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to add, Matthew? Just I'm um, just I'm um, uh, like I said at the start. I think it's probably a good time to kind of uh, take a step back with Everton, I think, for a bit, and not not get too down, but also you know obviously this this last these last four weeks have been really disappointing uh, in terms of points and and performances, but um, I still think we're a better team than last season. Yeah. I think if if we had got the same number of points we've got, which is thirteen without winning four in a row and losing three in a row, I think people would maybe be a bit more upbeat about it. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the way that we've we've amassed those points, which has kind of left people a bit flat. Um, but once we get Richardson back, I think we'll look a lot more on song. And we've got obviously three game, three very winnable games are coming up. So um, a really good chance to, to hit some form again ahead of what is looking at really, really daunting uh, Christmas period. Um, but as long as we keep everyone fit and healthy and suspension free, then uh, I think yeah we go into that in good shape. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, no, I I would agree. I think um, you know I think there's still a lot of promise with this squad. Obviously, there's a lot of hope left because Richarlison, who is arguably one of the best, if not the best, you know the best player we do have on our squad. Um, you know he's been out for the past few matches, so you know there's still. I think there still should be hope. I think there still should be hope moving forward. And once he gets back, hopefully um, we see that, that quality from this side again and, and we can start getting back to uh, winning ways here. Um, I think that's it, Matthew. Um, thank you, as always, for joining me. Thank you. Um, and to you guys out there, thank you for listening. Uh, make sure you keep subscribing, keep following, keep getting those downloads um, on whatever platform you're listening to. And we'll talk to you guys next week.